Welcome to Behind the Headlines, the weekly SilicogaNews.com podcast, where we take you behind the stories we tell and report here at SilicogaNews.com. I'm your host, Michael Brannon. Thanks so much for joining us today. On today's show, we have a very special guest. Congressman Mike Rogers will be joining us. We're talking about all things from Ukraine to COVID to the border. You don't want to miss this. Coming up in just a few moments here on Behind the Headlines. Doing some home remodeling or backyard projects? A home equity line of credit from Heritage South Credit Union can help you get that project done in no time with a low application fee, low rates, and convenient access. Call 256-245-4776 today to speak to an expert about Heritage South Credit Union's home equity line of credit. Heritage South Credit Union, your community credit union. NMLS number 712492, Equal Housing Lender, federally insured by NCUA. Ever feel like you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. Be the star of your own life again with BTL Msella. To learn more about Msella treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines. Joining me today, Congressman Mike Rogers. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Glad to be with you. Yeah. The big question that I'm going to lead off with here is really what keeps you up at night? Well, with me, it's, you know, I'm the uh, top Republican on the Armed Services Committee. So for the short term, it's Ukraine mm -hmm. and, and what uh, the implications are for our country with what's going on over there. A lot of people uh, wonder why should we care? about Ukraine being invaded by Russia. Uh, they're not a member of NATO and it's in Eastern Europe. Now, but the fact is we're the world's only superpower um, and we are a member of NATO. So if in fact Vladimir Putin decides to not stop in Ukraine, but to continue into Poland or the Baltics or any one of the surrounding countries that is in fact a NATO member, it triggers Article 5, which recalls for us to go in and push the invading army back out. So it would end up in World War III. So I care for that reason. I'm um, uh, very focused on it. I've been very focused on e Eastern Europe for at least the last decade because of my role on strategic forces. Um, but it's a very volatile situation and it's, it's got the potential to create a lot more problems for us around the world. Uh, I can guarantee you that China is watching how we handle this. If Putin has no consequences from taking Ukraine, uh, China's going to think they can take Taiwan with no consequences. Uh, North Korea will think they can attack South Korea with no consequences. Iran will look at a whole host of targets in the Middle East, most notably Israel. So there's and a precedence that you're talking about that is needing to be set here. Exactly. Bad behavior begets bad behavior. So you've got to stop bad behavior early. So that's what that's what I, I worry about right now. In the long term, it's China and their growth. But in the short term, it's Russia and aggression in Eastern Europe. You're big on immigration. The and with immigration comes borders, right? Mm -hmm. And so, the in, in some regard, you see the Democrats who are saying open borders to the United States, uh, and the the lack maybe or the perception of not protecting our border. When you equate this 
aside from the immigration aspect to Ukraine and Russia. Do you see any similarities there or differences in that regard? Why some politicians in, in your world are focused on Ukraine's border mm -hmm. and not so much ours at home? Well, there is a degree of hypocrisy there for people who uh, seem to think that border sovereignty doesn't matter when it's here, but it does matter in Eastern Europe. Um, but, you know, those are policy decisions that, that are the result of elections, and uh, we've got to win elections if we want to change that policy, because the Biden administration has no intention of uh, closing our southwest border notwithstanding that who's coming across. It's not just migrants looking for work. There's a lot of bad actors, gang members, gun runners, drug runners, sex traffickers, et cetera. Uh, but they've made a policy decision and they won the last election ostensibly. And uh, they get to make those decisions until we get the next election. Let's talk about Biden for just a second. You just mentioned him. Um, there's a lot to unpack, of course. You know, he's been in office now for uh, uh, just over a year. What, in your opinion, has he done right? And what, in your opinion, has he done wrong? And that's the mark on. Well, uh, he's given, I think, good lip service to wanting to, uh, to bring the country together, but he's put no behavior behind it. The truth is we're a very divided country right now. It's, it's as bad as it's been in my lifetime. Uh, and I think it's as bad as it's been since the Civil War. Uh, and he's offered lip service to wanting to bring people together, but he's done nothing to do that. And that bothers me a lot. So I, I'd like to say I could point to something uh, in particular as far as policy initiatives that I like. Uh, I will say the one thing he has said in the last few days that if he follows through will be a good policy. And that is, he has said that if in fact Russia invades Ukraine, he and the Western Europeans will not let the Nord Stream 2 pipeline start pumping gas. That would be crippling to Russia. So if he sticks to that, I will be the first one to give him an attaboy for it. Uh, but that's the only thing that really pops to mind. I, I've been very disappointed because uh, Joe Biden, you know, spent four decades in the Congress and was pretty much a mainstream, reasonable, moderate Democrat but he's turned hard left to get the presidency. And now in the presidency, he's got some hard left people around him. And uh, the policies have really been disappointing given how divided we are. If you wanna to try to bring this together, you need to start trying to find some middle ground. And we haven't seen that. Do you think in, I mean, you, you're, you're in Washington regularly. I mean, you're around um, uh, your peers regularly. Do you think politics plays a role in that seat in terms of the people around and that influence? Absolutely. The, the, Do you the, think he would be more moderate if he did not have the influence around him that you're talking about? Absolutely, for two reasons. One is uh, he, had to, he, he had to make that deal to get the nomination. The Democrats knew that, that uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, which their wing of the party, the far left wing, really had the, the energy uh, in the party, but the party knew they, they were too far left and couldn't be elected. Joe Biden, on the other hand, was kind of an empty vessel. Uh, and so that's why you didn't see him campaigning. Mm -hmm. it, they were counting on people to be mad at Trump and the Democrats just to want a Democrat. So he didn't get out and campaign a lot and talk about what he would do. But in order to get the far left, he had to make the deal to, to move to the left. That's why he put the vice president in place that he put in. She was had the most liberal record in, in the United States Senate. Uh, it was, that was not a, a, 
It's not just me saying it, it's a fact. Uh, and the people around him are the Obama people. Uh, and they're much more liberal than he has ever been in his legislative role. So yeah, they're, they're the folks driving the train every day. Uh, the fact is the president can't do everything and he has to count on staff. And uh, there's a far left staff that are making a lot of the decisions that we're suffering through right now. Let's switch a little bit to crime. You talked about this just briefly a few moments ago when we were talking about immigration, the people who are coming across the border, some bad actors, um, and even locally at home. Let's let's focus on that, especially even in your district, what happened in Oxford just recently. Um, where where do you see this going, the defunding the police, the police brutality aspect of what the media is reporting? Where where do you fall in line with this and how do you how do you help control what is going on? Well, we're fortunate that we live in Alabama where uh, this kind of rhetoric is not happening uh, in the deep south, outside big urban areas. Uh, we're very supportive of law enforcement and, uh, and we, 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 we honor them and respect them. And, and we've got, as a general rule, prosecutors that are, are going to prosecute cases and judges that are going to uh, enforce the law. There are some uh, rare exceptions. Uh, one would be this particular case you mentioned in Oxford, where it happened to be that that a, a prosecutor in, in uh, St. Clair County mm -hmm. had let that person leave when they really shouldn't have. That's an, kind of an outlier. Uh, but we've got in, in a lot of major cities around the country where prosecutors have campaigned on mm -hmm. the idea of uh, relaxing uh, the, the, the scope of crimes that they will prosecute. And that's been like you know, given a green light to every criminal to go and start uh, enacting crimes because they know there's no consequences. And people are fed up with it. Our polling around the country, you know, by our, ours, I mean the Republican Party, uh, around the country right behind inflation is concerns about public safety. So these are the kind of issues that, that really drive elections. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, a lot of people who want to see more security in their streets turning out to change the policymakers who are implementing these policies because they've not been working. We are in the media, of course, we are not as big as some of the mainstream media that you hear about uh, that, that, that nomenclature that you hear on right. television. It seems like more and more people are trusting more local media, community media, uh, the local newspapers, the local uh, radio and uh, websites of that nature. When it comes to what you hear and what you even experience in Washington on the national level. Where do you see that conversation going with the talk of police in media in general? Is it as bad as, as what is being reported in your eyes? Well, most of us in Congress and in the House in particular focus on our district media to get our message out. We can't break through the mainstream media. A, a they don't want to talk to us. And B, if we, if we communicate a message that's not consistent with their ideology, they don't put, print it or, or broadcast it. So we, it's a conscious effort by our leadership to remind us that when we're in our district, like I am now, mm -hmm. to be talking with our district media. Right. Uh, because the fact is, and I, you know, I've been doing this since 1986, local office and state law office, now federal, for the last 20 years, uh, I've always gotten a fair shake. Uh, from the state media, uh, whether it's been in the state capitol with the, the capitol press corps or my local media. I haven't always liked what was been printed or said, but I, was, I couldn't say it wasn't fair. Sure. Uh, in D.C., it is a completely unlevel playing field. 
So we focus on, on local media to get our message out. But the thing, fact is, it's working. I was reading an article last night in Politico, one of the, the newspapers up in D.C., and the DCCC chairman, who's the head of the Democrats' campaign arm, was making the point that our messaging on crime is really, and critical race theory teaching, what they're doing culturally, the mm -hmm, cultural right. issues, is really gotten traction and that they've got to do something different on messaging before they get crushed in November. And I can guarantee you we're not breaking through in the national news media. It's through local news media that we're getting, that we're breaking through. And plus people feel it. Mm -hmm. They feel inflation, but they feel crime. Right. You know, they're watching the news every night and they're seeing people going through stores with trash bags, pulling things off and walking out the front sure. door laughing. The big thing over the last two years has obviously been COVID. Uh, I think the last time that you and I actually saw each other was pre-COVID, so it's been a while, but I know we've talked on the phone a few times since. The latest on this, it seems like it has just really gotten out of control in terms of what's going on. The mandates, yeah. the, the, the schools, I mean, it's, and, and I think that that is seen on both sides, left, right, wherever you are in the political spectrum, you find yourself. I think people are tired of all of these things going on. Where do you see this moving in the next three, six, 12 months down the line? Well, it's more than they're tired. We're all, we've all been tired of this. What's I think happened is people have learned that we can live with COVID like we've learned to live with influenza. Uh, the fact is that most people who want to get vaccinated have been vaccinated uh, and or had COVID. And uh, the truth is once you've been vaccinated, if you get COVID, whether it's the original variation or the, the, the more recent variation, it's more flu-like than it is debilitating like it was. In fact, I've had it twice. I had it over a year ago and it was very tough. And then I just had it uh, in the last two months and it was very mild. And I've been vaccinated and boosted. So people have learned we can live with it is, is what I'm saying. Uh, and they want to get on with their lives. We still have to be able to make a living. We still have to educate our kids. We've got lives to live. And people are, have learned that they can. So that's one of the reasons why they're really annoyed and, and frustrated by government, whether it's school board at the local level or state government or federal government, forcing them to do things that they think are un, unnecessary. Uh, this is a free country and we can make our own decisions about our personal health and our children's health. And so I think that shift in perspective about we can live with this, let us live with it until there's a, a, a cure if ever, uh, is going to become more and more pronounced in our daily lives and our, our discourse. With COVID, obviously things have had a ripple effect. Uh, jobs, supply chain, we've heard a lot of this talk over the last several months. What is the latest in that supply chain uh, management, if you will, from, from top down to the consumer? Where do you see that going? I'd like to tell you, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be making some, some investments. And I don't have any stocks. I don't trade <laughs> stocks. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, this administration is, is, uh, has not been helpful, in my view, in trying to, to work with business to stimulate uh, supply chain uh, remedies. So I, I fear it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I don't see any evidence of, of anything different happening. Space Force is a big, big uh, thing in your book uh, in terms of um, making this as successful as it can be. I know that's uh, been something since the very, very beginning you've been yeah. passionate about. For the average 
person who may not know exactly what the Space Force is mm -hmm. and what its purpose is in the, uh, in the armed services, what is it at its core? And also, where does it stand right now in terms of it being recognized amongst, uh, amongst the, the ranks of the Coast Guard, the Army, and the Navy, yeah. and the Marines? Well, it's one I'm particularly proud of because it's my legislation that created it. Uh, and, all, and it's about satellites, to answer your question. A lot of people think it's about sending Captain Kirk up into space. <laughs> it's not. Right. This is not about sending people into space. Right. You're not going to be this fighting is, wars in space. It's not going to be Star Wars. Correct. Right. This is all about satellites. Right. Most of your viewers have no idea how much they depend on satellites every day mm -hmm. in their daily lives. Uh, for example, the traffic signals that you have in your streets here. Those are using timing from the GPS satellite system. Uh, the GPS satellite system is a national security space satellite system. It's a military mm -hmm. satellite system. We let you use it because you help pay for it, but it's not what it's there for. It's to guide our missiles, position our troops, and use for timing and sure. such. We have a host of satellites up there that are doing a, a, a host of things, watching for nuclear launches, uh, for command and control of our systems. Uh, and they're basically our eyes, ears, and sometimes our voices for the military, just like they are in our, in our personal lives. Mm -hmm. Most of your viewers don't know that if you put your debit card in the gas pump to get gas, you're using a satellite. If you go to the bank and do a transaction, you're using a satellite. They know if they're watching TV, they are, but if sure. you're using your smartphone, you're... Right. So satellites have become in, in, intertwined in our daily lives, and it's, it's done the same thing in the military. Our adversaries, primarily China and Russia, uh, no, they can't fight us in a head-on-head -head tactical war and be successful. So they've decided to become very aggressive in going after our satellite capabilities, our eyes and our ears mm -hmm. and our voices in space. And they came really close to catching up to our capabilities a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we decided to take our space capabilities out of the Air Force, put them in a separate service where they're focused just on space dominance because it's now a warfighting domain. And that's what the Space Force is. Their whole purpose in life is to make sure we not only keep dominance, but grow our dominance in space uh, so that should we have a conflict, we win. What does the landscape of it look like right now in terms of the, the personnel, the um, equipment, for lack of better words, in terms of the, the infrastructure, I yeah. guess is the, the words I'm looking for. And how far do you have to, to go to be at the level that you want to be? Right. Well, we stood it up. I, I, I tell people it's like this. That when we stood it up a couple of years ago as a separate service, it's the sixth service of the military, you know, with the Army, Navy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, we set it up, and I tell people it's a phased approach. It's like mm -hmm. a Christmas tree. When yeah. you set up a Christmas tree, the first thing you do is just stand a tree up. Right. Then you come in and you, you know, put some lights on it, and then you put some more lights on it. Then you hang some ornaments, you know, and then you might put some little sparkly things on it, and then you come and put a star on top. At the end, you got a fully decorated tree. Right. What we did the first year is we just stood the tree up, just the basic skeleton of the organization. And we have come back in last year and in this year layering on it. We see this being about a five to six year process of us layering on different elements of the Space Force so that it's fully fleshed out in about another three years. Uh, and it's coming along really nicely. Uh, we've got about 10,000, it, and it's always gonna be small. Mm -hmm. this, was, this is not about bulk manpower. Nobody in the Space Force is gonna be carrying a gun in, in the field. 
they're sitting at a computer terminal. These are these are geeks, mm -hmm. and they're proud geeks, by the way. <laughs> um, and uh, this is all about technical skills. So I can see this service maybe getting up to fifteen thousand people or whatever, but never really being about bulk. It's about technology, and the thing that we're most focused on is speed. The, technic, the technical capability of satellites changes so rapidly, like, like all of our technology does. Mm -hmm. We can't afford to wait four, five, six years to get a new satellite up there with the latest technology. We need to be able to get it up in 12, 16, 18 months. That's what we're after. That's what we're, what we want to make sure this new service never gets bureaucratic so they can go fast. They'll never go as fast as the private sector, but they can go fast to try to help make sure that we stay ahead of China and Russia when it comes to space capabilities. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Is there any partnership with the private sector in this Absolutely. Effort? The only way we'll ever be successful is to partner with the, the private sector. For example, the private sector does all of our launches, whether it's ULA here in Alabama, United Launch mm -hmm. Alliance, which is a partnership between Boeing and Lockheed, SpaceX, yep. uh, Blue Origin. Right. They're all partners, mm -hmm. and, and they're going to be essential. I think that you will see us do more and more partnering with private satellite companies to, to kind of ride their satellites mm -hmm. for certain capabilities in certain parts of the world. So basically we'll become a customer along with a bunch of other people on certain satellites because we can't do everything and we don't need to. Uh, but there's some things that are unique to us like I talked about the infrared satellites that look for satellite launchers. Right. We'll have to do that by ourselves. Sure, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of things like, you know, uh, Afghanistan, yeah. you know, unfortunately, President Biden made the boneheaded decision to take everything out of Afghanistan, including our air bases. So now we don't have the ability to do counterterrorism monitoring uh, with airplanes. So I see satellites taking that over and I, I can see us partnering with some private companies to keep eyes on Afghanistan. So if they start training terrorists again, we'll know about it. It's really a fascinating um, perspective that I, I think a lot of people don't know about. And um, I appreciate you educating uh, not only our viewers and our listeners, but also me on it as well. Sure. Before we let you go, the district itself, any new happenings happening in the in the district that you want to talk about well, the, and, the, and, uh, and shine a light on? Yeah, the good news is uh, the redistricting map by the passed by the legislature was, in fact, allowed to go forward by the U.S. Supreme Court. Some of your viewers may know that a three-judge panel uh, in late January mm -hmm. st stopped the parties from going forward with the map that the legislature had designed and wanted to redesign the maps to kind of create a second African-American district. And I mean, it was they had all kind of crazy plans trying to make it happen because we really don't have a large enough population in, of African-Americans in Alabama to guarantee a second district. We could guarantee a, two Democrat districts, but probably neither one of them would elect an African-American. So anyway, the U.S. Supreme Court came in and said, no, stop, it's way too late in the process, because this was the day before qualifying ended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this three-judge right. panel did it. Said, your cases can go forward and we'll, we'll talk about it next year if they're successful. So uh, the great news is that most of our districts stay pretty much the way they have been for the last decade. There's some changes, but they're, they're around the edges. Alabama grew just enough not to lose a district, uh, but not enough to make dramatic changes. So uh, they're stuck with me if they reelect me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Congressman, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and, be uh, and being here today on Behind the Headlines. Really appreciate yes, it. Enjoy yes, sir. It. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode. We thank you so much for watching and listening wherever that may have been, whether it's on a podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. And also, if you're watching this on social media, on Facebook, be sure to share it with your friends. Until next time, I'm Michael Brandon. We'll see you soon. Feel like you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. Be the star of your own life again with BTL Mcella. To learn more about Mcella treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com. People tell our tellers, lenders, and representatives they see us at events happening in your community all the time. There's a reason for that. With more than 450 volunteer hours every year, our team is dedicated to knowing you and what matters most. Heritage South Credit Union is your community credit union. Find out why more and more people are becoming members at myhscu.com. Heritage South Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender.